This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use and provides general information only and does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs. BT Investment Talk by BT Investment Solutions is a monthly podcast produced exclusively for Australian financial advisors. Our investment experts, together with some of the world's leading fund managers, will provide thought leadership on a wide range of investment topics. Investment Talk is all about looking beyond the numbers, helping advisors cut through the noise, enabling them to have meaningful investment and portfolio construction conversations with their clients. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of BT Invest Talk. I'm Travis Grant, Investment Specialist and Queensland Regional Manager with the BT Investments team. For today's episode, we're going to connect with one of our international fixed interest managers, Western Asset Management. Now, since 1971, a bit of background about Western Asset Management, they've been recognised as one of the world's leading globally integrated active fixed interest managers. And joining us in our discussions today, it's a pleasure to introduce product specialist Robert Alibad. Now, Robert joins us from Pasadena uh, as we record this. So this morning it's nine o'clock our time, so office hours our time, but after hours for the folks from Pasadena, so very much appreciated. A bit, about, a bit of background about Robert. He's a member of the multi-asset credit investment team, the global multi-sector investments team and the global portfolio team. So very broad background there for us. And joining us from the BT Investments Solutions team uh, and our income and private markets lead is, is Hugo Chan, who works within our suite uh, of, of multi-manager solutions for, for BT Investment Solutions. So thank you so much, both of you, for your time today. It's a great opportunity for our listeners to hear more about developments in the fixed interest and credit markets. Safe to say, uh, Robert, you join us today when it's, it's been a difficult time in the first quarter calendar year, extremely challenging with, with, with the fixed interest space, with returns hard to come by and excess carry not necessarily always cushioning wider spreads. And furthermore, there's been a lot of developments on the macro front. So with that in mind, what is Western Assets' current outlook for the broader global economy? And another part of the question following that, as, as rates now start to move in the US and globally across most Western economies and the inflation impacts start to bite, where and how are you positioning portfolios for performance? Well, Travis, thank you so much for having me today. So let me just dive in and and make sure that we all get on the same page here because it's important to keep in mind how quickly we've arrived at this moment where markets are completely fixated on inflation worries. So at the end of the last year, global growth was on the mend after almost two years of COVID-related headwinds. We all know this, right? And, you know, there were some rumblings about inflation pressure in the U.S. due to lingering supply chain bottlenecks. And there were some inflation concerns in Europe due to gas supply disruptions, potentially boosting energy prices, but really nothing out of the ordinary. So our view as we enter 2022 was that the global recovery would continue marching on but without any real inflation momentum as these supply chain bottlenecks eased over time. And we were also cognizant that there are these secular factors always working behind the scenes, and you can attribute these to like the high debt loads across countries or aging demographics or ongoing technological displacement. All these factors usually temper inflation pressures and keep long-term rates range-bound. But in the span of like four to five months, we've experienced two major events that have seriously turbocharged the inflation narrative, while at the same time delivering a body blow, let's put it that way, to to global growth prospects. 
And that's the invasion of Russia into Ukraine, which happened in late February, which led to a spike in oil and agricultural prices. And then more recently, this complete lockdown that we've been seeing in major manufacturing cities in China due to rising COVID cases. And, and that's exacerbated the supply chain problem. So the combination of these developments, along with some other idiosyncratic factors, have forced the major central banks, such as the Fed, the European Central Bank, or, or the ECB, the Bank of England, the Bank of Australia, to sharply pivot away from their very accommodative stances and jump in front of this inflation train. So all these sudden moves, the pessimism that's associated with it, and the, all the headlines looking to sensationalize every single macro data release explains why global bond markets and risk assets have repriced so aggressively in a short amount of time. So with that context in mind, our outlook on global growth through year end, I would say is a bit more benign than the consensus view, which at the moment is a lot more pessimistic on growth and inflation. We think central banks are much more cognizant of the inflation risks and are using all the tools at their disposal to attack inflation while being mindful to not jeopardize economic growth. Now, while some countries such as the US, Europe, and China have turned down the dial in fiscal stimulus over the past years, we could see new forms of stimulus should the need arise. So bear in mind, and this is something I may comment on in, uh, later on, but bear in mind that each country is different. So how our base case for each story plays out will depend a lot on inflation trajectories, how rising rates and elevated prices impact growth, and in turn, how policymakers react. I'm going to more de detail about positioning, but on a high level, the main markets we're focused on in portfolios today are the US, Europe, and UK, where active duration and yield curve management is key to generating outperformance. If we're right about global growth and inflation moderating as we move closer to year end, that backdrop, backdrop will also be supportive for emerging markets, which have been shaken by the rise in rates and a strengthening dollar, as well as for credit markets, which have softened a bit over the past few weeks. Now, as of late, we've been opportunistically adding to investment-grade credit, where valuations have become much more attractive, and to rising star stories, which we believe has solid total return potentials. For those of you not familiar with the term rising stars, these are select double B-rated names that have the potential to move back to investment-grade over the next 12 to 18 months. Thanks, Robert. That's, that's really, really great, great insights. Now, the challenge being, as you've sort of mentioned, is where sovereigns are sort of all positioning uh, their respective rates. And, and Powell has said that the FOMC would not hesitate to push rates above neutral if, if necessary. The neutral rate in the US has been estimated to be between 2 and 3%. In, in your view, or Western assets' view, do, what do you believe to be the neutral cash rate? Uh, in the United States? It's a great question, Travis. So we have to acknowledge at the outset that there's still an ongoing debate over what the term neutral means. So a few years ago, neutral meant that the level of yields were rather, let's just put it this way, it was at the level of yields that was consistent with steady long run growth and in inflation. And what we observed was that bond yields ended the expansion at levels well below what Fed models estimated that neutral should be. Today, neutral refers to the level of rates above which inflation would start to decline. So if you think about it, that's a level that's well above the old definition of neutral. So let me just add a little bit of extra color here. Some pundits like Larry Summers, who believe that 5% inflation is entrenched, 
think rates need to be well over 5% in order to start curbing inflation. Others who think 5% inflation or higher is an aberration and that the economy is calibrated for an ongoing inflation rate of 3% or lower believe that rates near 3% makes more sense. The bottom line is that there are so many opinions on both sides and even in between that it's really difficult to truly know what the consensus on neutral really is. So given all this, the best we could say is that markets look to be priced for a neutral rate of around 3%, and we will be comfortable with that level or one that's a bit lower. Excellent. Robert, thank you. Thank you for that, Carla. You, Joe, I might hand over to you at this point, and um, I'm sure from a portfolio management perspective, there's some questions that you're chomping at the bit to ask. Absolutely. Thanks, uh, Travis. Uh, so I guess following from that, Rob, I mean, one of the widely discussed topics amongst the investment community is the, the risk of policy error and potentially sent, uh, the, the US Fed and other central banks getting its tightening strategy and timing wrong. What are the prime risks that we need to sort of remain cognizant of now with investing in this particular asset class at this particular point in time? Hmm. It's a good point because there is a lot of focus on, on some, what central banks are doing. And as you mentioned, the timing, potential policy error. But if there's one risk that seems to have been pushed aside with all the inflation and Russia headlines is COVID and the possibility of another major outbreak. Now, bear in mind that variants are still morphing out there. And one could prove serious enough that more countries, not just China, begin to reintroduce mobility restrictions or lockdowns that slow the global economy more than anticipated. And that kind of scenario would certainly cool inflation fears and bring rates down, but slower than expected growth or a widespread recession that threatens to impair corporate earnings would weigh heavily on equity markets and pressure credit spreads wider. Now, another surprise uh, scenario is that the Ukraine crisis is resolved sooner than expected due to a sudden turn of events in Russia. For example, some kind of regime change. Now, that could result in a sharp repricing of inflation to the downside, growth expectations to the upside, and push uh, risk assets sharply higher. You know, we can't dismiss such a scenario either. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that with us. And I guess looking specifically at our portfolios, given the volatility across the different markets, the dispersion in policy response uh, across the different regions, how would you characterize the opportunity set in the current market environment? I know we talked about this a little bit earlier in your, um, in your discussions above, but I guess the opportunity to add excess returns above the benchmark, are there any sectors or regions that particularly stand out over the next 12 months? Okay, this is, a, this is an important question. So I would say that in a market dislocation, such as the one we're currently experiencing, there's always a knee-jerk tendency to look at higher yielding asset classes to find potential sources of excess returns. But we have to bear in mind that there's still plenty of macro uncertainty in the air. So we would be unwise to just reach for yield. As I alluded to in my opening response, we think the best opportunities will come from some beat up sectors like global government bonds or higher quality corporate credit where valuations to us don't make sense based on underlying fundamentals. Remember that pricing anomalies or inefficiencies typically pop up when securities are indiscriminately sold during market sell-offs, either to raise you know, liquidity for, for margin calls or redemptions. And as active managers, our job is to identify and exploit those inefficiencies. So just to recap and add a little bit more color to our high conviction calls. In the US, we believe that we've likely seen the peak in headline inflation. 
the Fed will be facing both weaker growth and prices as it considers tighter monetary policy in the second half of the year. With that in mind, we believe the Fed is unlikely to raise rates more than what's currently priced in by year end. In Europe, the growth and inflation picture is much more cloudy due to the potential disruption of natural gas from Russia. So even though we think the ECB, again, the European Central Bank, is still determined to stop asset purchases as a way to remove accommodation, the hurdle for them to hike rates aggressively, so by more than, let's say, 100 basis points priced in by year end, seems high to us. The situation in the United Kingdom is also pretty interesting. So with four rate hikes already in the bag, the Bank of England is ahead of the US and the European Union in tightening monetary policy. But their inflation projections point to a significant undershoot versus target if they hike in line with market expectations. In other words, we think the bank there will likely pause for a while and take stock of the impact that inflation is having on areas such as consumer confidence and spending before they consider any further hikes. So you, Joe, as you noted, each central bank is at a slightly different stage and all that provides opportunities for us. So just to round out my comments on positioning, we've been cautious in the US, but have recently started adding to front end exposure. In the EU, we think too many hikes are priced in and have been further trimming our duration underweight as bun yields, uh, bun yields approached uh, 1%. In the UK, we've built a long duration position on the view that the Bank of England will be very cautious and tightening policy further in the coming months. In some ways, the Bank of England will serve as an interesting test case for other major central banks. Now, let me close by saying the following. If central banks end up having to back off and not tighten as much as currently priced, this should be supportive for developed market rates and spread sectors. The key will be how quickly and by how much growth slows. If it's a gentle glide lower, then emerging markets and lower rated credit should do well. If it's a sharper slowdown, then rates will rally hard, but credit and emerging markets will be challenged. We positioned for the former, but have to admit that the risks of the latter are starting to grow. Great, thanks, Rob. And I guess uh, you know, taking 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 your comments into consideration, an important question here about what would be your expectation for the asset, the returns expectation for the asset class over the next one to two years, given that you know we're, we're looking at bond yields that are now substantially higher when compared to pre-COVID levels, and the opportunity set that you've you've alluded to. Sure. So as I alluded to earlier, we believe inflation will be contained and move lower by year end, in which case it's reasonable to think that, for example, treasuries, which most people are, are mostly focused on, given where they're currently trading, could drift back near pre-2022 levels. So if this transpires, returns for the treasury market and even higher quality credit would at least match current yield levels. For longer duration assets, returns would be much greater. For riskier asset classes, such as high yield, for example, future returns depend not just on government bond yields moving back to year ago levels, but also for credit spreads to remain contained in this environment and then grind tighter over time. Now, this combination would require that the Fed, for example, is successful in containing inflation without triggering a recession. But we think this is a reasonable prospect based on our assessment of the macro environment and how committed the Fed and other central banks are in attacking inflation and managing downside growth risks. Robert, thank you and you, Joe, for a very comprehensive uh, insight as to where we sit. At the time of recording, we, we saw, again, the volatility continuing, although the US yield curve flattened 
um, as the short end yields rose and in, in longer duration yields fell. So it's it's an absolutely a, a challenging time. So having insights from one of our partners, such as Western Asset, we hope you find listeners is, is timely and, and, and can be very much uh, of assistance in terms of portfolio construction and, and, and looking at your fixed interest opportunities. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like a little bit more information on our solutions, you can head to our website, bt.com.au forward slash BTIS. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, please do not hesitate to reach out. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening.